Hey guys, and welcome back to the Mud Studs and Skullcaps podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Kelsey. And in today's episode, we are tackling the question of what should my horse's mouth be doing while I'm riding? Should they be foaming or chewing, or should their mouth be totally quiet? And do products like bit balm or gum bits actually help your horse accept the bit? If you haven't already, make sure you check out last week's episode. We dig into the effectiveness of adjustable gullet saddles and how these saddles are not the total saddle fit solution they are advertised to be. Listen to this episode if you want to know why you have to be careful with quick change gullet systems. Want to help fellow listeners choose their next podcast to listen to? You can do this by heading on over to the Apple Podcast app to leave a review and subscribe to this podcast. This will make sure you will get notified every time we upload a new episode, as well as help others looking for something new to listen to to find the perfect episode. We First off, we have to say Happy Thanksgiving because this episode oh. does drop on Thanksgiving, though we're not quite to Thanksgiving when we're recording it. We're like almost there. And it's important because this is a Thanksgiving-themed episode, in case you couldn't tell. That's true. That's where we got the idea. Bit butter, we thought, you know, butter, Thanksgiving, yep. ah, hand in hand, it's the same. Exactly. So today's episode, kind of what Kelsey already mentioned, is we're going to be talking about should your horse be foaming on the bit? Should they be chewing on the bit? What should your horse's mouth be doing when you're riding? And it's all kind of started off when we really started looking into the products of gum bits and bit butter. And I'm going to be talking about gumbits today, which are advertised as chewing gum for horses. Which, sure, okay. Why does my horse didn't need- didn't know we had a market for this. Right, why does my horse need gum? I don't, I don't understand. Didn't know we needed gemstone blankets and I didn't know our horses needed gum. Okay, but I feel like my princess totally needs gum and crystal blankets, so. <laughs> but can she walk and chew gum at the same time? No, does she have to? <laughs> I think that's recommended. Oh my God, she could not use these in competition. She'd get stuck in the middle of the arena and just be like, (laughs) gum bits are advertised just as that. They're advertised as chewing gum for horses. They're created by Jeff and Shireen Fuqua, Fuqua, Fuqua. I'm sure it's French. It's super. Definitely not going to say their last name for the rest of this episode, so I don't butcher it. But on their website, they say gum bits, chewing gum for horses and ponies promotes the salivation process and eliminates the teeth grinding, which often can occur during the intense training of high-performance sport horses and ponies. I I just want to roll my eyes so hard when I hear stuff like that. Like, my horse is stressed. Let's hide it. Exactly. Like, so what I kept coming back to with this product is that the whole purpose, what they advertise it on their website to do is that it promotes chewing activity, encourages submission, activates salivation, and eliminates teeth grinding. Two of those sound all right, but the encourages submission and eliminates teeth grinding? I have big qualms with that. Like, I don't... If your horse is grinding their teeth, there's a lot bigger issues happening and, like, encourages submission? What? Well, okay. Well, they're saying submission, like, from the collective marks on the back of the dressage test. I think that's where they're getting the word submission from, which I, like, I understand that terminology. Submission really is, should be, like, connection. Submission is, is probably a poor choice in words on everybody's behalf at this point. Like, yeah. I think we, we should have moved past that terminology when it comes to horses. So I think the a better term for collective marks is connection. They do say connection. They also they say that this originally started off with the pure dressage world, mainly with dressage horses. 
under the idea to promote connection and help those dry mouth horses. So this product is made from FDA approved ingredients, which only has six ingredients in it. It is sugar, beeswax, wheat flour, cornstarch, gum arabic, and natural flavor, which I assume the gum stuff is to hold it all together and creates the gum effect of it. And then the natural flavor is the stuff to make it sweet tasting. So essentially, when you put them in your horse's mouth, these are little balls of beeswax that are wrapped in like this honey flavored sweet layer material that's kind of crunchy at first like normal gum is that Mm -hmm. a human would have. Okay. And they are chewed up like a normal treat. However, the beeswax in them stays on the teeth, thereby removing the satisfaction or the release a horse would receive from grinding their teeth during the ride. Hmm. So just like a slippery mouth? Yeah, it just kind of coats the teeth in beeswax, which I think goes back to that thing of where they're trying to eliminate horses that grind their teeth. Think about yourself. You never grind your teeth for fun. It's never a pleasant activity. Generally, you're either stressed, you're in pain, you're trying to like something is going on for why you yourself are clenching your teeth, grinding your teeth. And we all hate that noise when it happens in our own mouths. So I can't imagine our horses prefer to replicate this and do it repeatedly. So the idea that horses take a joy in grinding their teeth and you, you know, put this beeswax on their teeth to remove that from them. I think it's you're not addressing what's actually going on. And in reality, you're taking away whatever they were getting released by grinding their teeth. You're now making it so they don't have that escape either. Okay, so a couple thoughts. First off, if they're grinding their teeth, that means their jaw is locked and there's tension in their like TMJ and underneath their pole. Like it's not a soft horse that's grinding their teeth. A relaxed horse is not grinding their teeth. The second thing is you're assuming they're getting some sort of like hit from grinding their teeth like cribbing or stall weaving that this is a this is how they're releasing their anxiety it is their what is that behavior oh i cannot remember that is it like stereotype behavior stereotypical behavior i know like for racehorses it's really common for them to like reach their neck out and grind their teeth like when they're in the cross ties but it's a stereotypical behavior that's not um desirable no it's not desirable but i think what needs to be addressed and talked about is that they're getting it's a way for them to release their anxiety or if they're feeling pain or something they're not doing this out of enjoyment they're not doing it right because they feel good and they want to run through the pasture bucking and now they're just going to grind their teeth they're not doing it out of that nature they're doing it out of a place of stress or anxiety and so taking that away isn't taking away why they're grinding their teeth it's just hiding it right and they're going to just display that behavior somewhere else because the cause the trigger hasn't been removed and so on top of that with gum bits where i got kind of a shock from which i know we're going to talk about later it's very annoying that we say that but we will get to it later but kind of where i got a big shock from this and just kind of astounded by it was how many top riders out there are using this and how many people gum bits sponsors so they sponsor us equestrian usea USEF Pony Finals, US, US Hunter Jumper Association, the Dutta Corp, Fairhill International, oh, wow. and uh, Global Dressage Festival. That's, yeah, wow. That's just- that's a lot of really big overarching horse communities and things that we pay our memberships into that have not only looked at this product, they've accepted this sponsorship and are willing to represent it and are pushing it to all the people that fall beneath them. To me, it's really frustrating because even if this product does help one horse, right? Like maybe there is one horse that truly grinds its teeth because it's 
it's not a stress thing. Maybe if there is one horse and this product really does work for that one horse, it does not work for everyone you're promoting this product to. And it's not a solution for everyone who's getting this product promoted to them. You know what I mean? Like there may be one horse in a million that this product could actually help in a good way. And that is not how you make sales. You do not make sales. You do not make a profit off of one person being able to use this product. So you're going to convince everyone they need it. Yeah. And it just astounds me how many people are saying that, oh, I worked underneath a top Grand Prix dressage rider and she used it and loved it for her horses that grind their teeth. And they say how like all the kids in the pony pony jumpers and stuff are using this and I just can't imagine there is that it's just it's so hard to fathom that they're pushing it to this many people and this many people are using it you know what and what's so frustrating though is this means that there is a huge number of anxious in pain stressed out horses that you are trying to just hide in the competition world and I'm gonna say probably in the pleasure world as well and I have nothing against competing I love competing I know we have definitely had horses that love competing as well But you have to start to question that if this is, we need these kind of products to hide our horse's anxiety and stress is competing, or at least the way I am doing competitions or I am prepping my horse, the best thing for my horse. And that's what I find so frustrating is that these are US team riders. I found out about this product from uh, Lauren Kiefer. She posted a sponsored Instagram post. And I love Lauren Kiefer. I love her personal philosophy. I've listened to a ton of interviews with her. I think she's a fabulous rider. But you are promoting this product to everyday equestrians who think stress is okay in their horse. And The issue with a lot of these people promoting it is you may be a really good rider who doesn't have a stressed out horse, but you don't make sales off of one really good rider. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you have to market that this product is a need and that my horse being stressed and grinding its teeth is normal and you can cover it up. That is how these products get sold. And that is so frustrating to me. They're sold under this false guise. And I guess this kind of takes me into my next point, which is why do we want to create this effect of a horse chewing on the bit, of a horse salivating around the bit? Why are top riders buying this? Why is there even a market for this to be sold? And it kind of comes back to this whole idea, your horse is truly relaxed in their pull and their jaw if they have visible foam and saliva around their lips and the bit. So it comes from this idea that true relaxation, you can confirm this by seeing saliva and foam around the horse's bit and mouth. And there's even one article I was reading that says, horses should chew gently, introducing air bubbles into the saliva, which makes it foamy. The presence of foamy saliva on the lips is regarded favorably by dressage trainers as a sign that the horse is accepting the bit in a relaxed manner, accompanied by salivation and chewing. However, excessive saliva at the mouth could also be caused by a combination of excessive saliva production induced by the bit inhibition of swallowing by a combination of head positions and bit effects. So disregarding the horse that looks like they have rabies and is foaming at the mouth, We all go for this image of a horse that has some type of saliva around their mouth because we've been told by dressage trainers, we've been told in our dressage tests and by our marks, is that you want to see a horse with with this foam, with this saliva, which is wild to me. It's crazy because one, it doesn't take into account that different horses' bodies react differently. So to say that all horses should be foaming at the bit to prove that they're relaxed is a complete fallacy because think about your own body. You don't sweat as much as the next person next to you. You don't, your body doesn't react under relaxation the same as the person next to you. 
So why do we assume that all horses' bodies react the same under relaxation? Why do we assume that they will all demonstrate the exact same effects? No, and I totally agree. I Horses, there are horses out there that have dry mouths and they don't salivate the same amount. There are horses out there that do drool normally a lot already, right? You have different saliva productions. But there's also, I think, a lot of factors that go into what creates saliva and or foam in the horse's mouth. I think there's a lot going on there. But I have a theory about why we accept foam as being good. And so this is my theory. Um, and I'm going to get into foam a little bit more in just a couple minutes. But my theory, and I saw someone say this in a chat group, so I was or on a, one of the chronicles, the, one of the forums, that's the word, the forum, one of the horsey forums, and they asked, why is foam such a big deal? When I look back at older artwork and older photos, I don't see foam in those pictures. You know, is this a newer, you know, 90s onward trend? And so I was like, well, is that true? You know, and a lot of people said, no, it's not true. You know, even in the 70s, we wanted horses with foamy mouths. So I went back and I was looking at like old dressage photos from the 60s and stuff that were available online and even older artwork and I will say the majority of those horses absolutely were foaming in the mouth this is not a new thing but there were a couple common themes I noticed theme one is most of those horses in those older photos that I could find and I of course just a google image search is not all the photos in the world but most of those were in a double bridle I think this plays the factor and most of those horses were so hollow throughout the back and the withers, like disgustingly hollow. I think those are playing factors. I think the horses were not behind vertical, I'll give them that, but the way that their neck was being held and the bit, I think plays a factor. And when we're looking at those horses as being some of our top inspirations and Rainer Klimke was in there, if we're looking at those riders as being the ultimate, and this is how their horses are moving and their horses are looking and they are foaming, we have then taken that and said, my horse needs to do it too. Without any understanding of what was actually happening in those photos. I'm not saying those riders were bad riders. I'm not saying anything to that nature. This is just some themes I noticed looking at those photos. And you guys can Google 1960s dressage photos and look through them. There's a lot of older artwork um, that you can look at as well that shows Horses from, you know, 100 or so years ago or more foaming at the mouth as well. Some of the themes I was noticing was these horses don't look like they're moving through their body correctly. And they all are in double bridles. I saw very few in snaffles that also had foam. I think a lot of this is just a misunderstanding and misrepresentation of what foam is. And I I don't know if you're going to touch on this later. I'll kind of bring it up now. Let me see where it goes. But one of the things that I read that really stuck out to me and I was like holy dang why did I never think of this before with the bit in the horse's mouth and the way we expect foam to be produced with relaxation for them to be producing foam they can't possibly be using their bodies and their like systems effectively because for this foam you're asking the horse uh they're supposed to be mimicking almost eating like this chewing motion they're supposed to have the saliva being produced that's almost simulating the fact that they would be eating and it's utilizing that system when you're also asking them to be working in high intense situations that should be using their endurance system and it just think of yourself eating and breathing at the same time doesn't generally work out very well so why do we expect our horses to do this it's such a weird conundrum that i started realizing with gum bit especially being chewing gum for the horse that you expect them to be chewing throughout these high intense rides and i started looking at pictures of jumpers and jumpers foaming at the mouth and i was thinking like 
if my horse is out across country or I'm jumping, I don't want them foaming at the mouth because that means that my horse is not using her system correctly. I don't want this happening. Correct. Horses are unique, unlike humans who, you know, I'm not eating right now, but there's saliva in my mouth. Horses only produce saliva when they're chewing. They only produce saliva when they're going to eat. So like they have to be chewing on maybe wood or lead ropes or things, but that cell, that chewing activates their saliva glands and that activates their digestive system. Now we typically recognize that uh, a horse that is in that digest and rest nervous system is a relaxed thinking horse because your other ner- was it the parasympathetic is digest and relax I always get them confused parasympathetic nervous system is for um, how the body operates in a relaxed state it's the rest and digest system it's essentially how we live without any stressors applied for the sympathetic nervous system is how they operate when stress is applied when there's either like a fight or flight response kicked in but it also is activated during rolling, walking, excitement, it's not always a bad thing, but it's when they're no longer sitting at a place of rest. Right. And so when they go up to their sympathetic nervous system, they stop salivating and they stop chewing. And so we recognize that chewing and saliva means my horse is relaxed. But there's also a little bit more to it than just that. Your horse isn't in just one or the other. They can kind of go back and forth between them. There's a little bit, it's not, there's a lot more going on to in the horse than just it's not just one nervous system and it's not like a switch you don't just flip a switch on and off and you're either on the nervous or on the parasympathetics on the parasympathetic nervous system or on the sympathetic nervous system there's a whole sort of like cycle that goes through and your horses can kind of be floating between the two however if they're really panicked they're going to be on one if they're really relaxed they're going to be on the other what i was going to address with the gum bit thing is that i think the biggest part that they're selling is they're really only focused on two things and they're visible reactions that you can confirm with your eyes that you can clearly see and be like yep it's working it's doing something and that is either foaming at the mouth or chewing on the bit and when I started looking into chewing on the bit I couldn't quite figure out how to like phrase my questions to Google where I was like is chewing on the bit good I'm trying to figure out is there positive endorphins do it does a horse receive some sort of like positive feedback from their body when they're gently chewing on the bit and there's nothing about that. The closest that I could find that really talks about this is the licking and chewing that we always talk about with working on horses on the ground. And I think we've kind of taken this idea of licking and chewing on the ground with no bit in their mouth and just applied it to when they have a bit in their mouth and they're like, oh, look, they're chewing on the bit. It's the same thing, which in some situations it kind of is. But I think for that to be applied is regular chewing on the bit is not ideal periodic every now and then where they adjust a bit in their mouth or they chew on it lick and chew that is promising but once again that doesn't occur when you have high endurance situations going on or like you're going across cross country doing a show jump course they're exclusive activities they're not going to happen at the same exact time and so when I kind of started looking into chewing on the bit I looked into the licking and chewing and what is going on there and I started looking into the parasympathetic nervous system and a sympathetic nervous system Parasympathetic, once again, is how their body operates in a relaxed state, which is rest and digest, how we live without stressors applied, where the sympathetic nervous system is how they operate when stress is applied, where it can either be activated through fear, but it can also be activated through excitement, anticipation, um, walking, rolling, happiness. And a lot of times these two systems are treated as separate entities that you can only have one or the other. You're either in the parasympathetic or the sympathetic. You're not, 
There's no possible way you can have the good with the bad. And that's kind of how I was originally treated. But I think what I was reading on um, one of these websites, it was called Equisoma. They broke it down to where they started talking about it as a window of tolerance in which these two systems are working together. Yeah. And that kind of, I really resonate with me because I think it worked out like the epitome of what we're all going for, where there's a happy medium between the horse being relaxed and the horse being stressed out. Mm-hmm. And obviously, not all stressors are bad stressors. They're not all overwhelming, much in the same way as not all pressure is abusive and aversive. Right. And that's something that I think people forget is that everything in the world is a stimulus to the horse. You breathing is stimulating some type of response from the horse. It does not mean your horse is panicking and freaking out because you breathed, but your horse is going to respond to every little thing out there. Everything is a trigger, but like not a bad trigger, just a trigger for a reaction. And no reaction is also a reaction. Exactly. And so when I was looking at it and trying to understand it, because I kept having a lot of stuff that I was reading was talking about, I know there's one book in particular that talks about when a horse is coming down from the sympathetic system back into the parasympathetic, that is when the licking and chewing occurs. And while that is true, it's not because they were just overly stressed out always and now they're coming back down. It's not necessarily because of that. And so you look at it, the way the Equisoma website, and I'll link it, it I highly recommend going and reading it because it was actually one that finally broke it down to where I could understand it. And it talks about this window of tolerance is where these two systems are working together and it's almost like a dial. So like when you start off with the dial, it's lower down and you start with the walk and throughout your ride or engaging with your horse, learning, teaching, the dial goes up more towards the strictly sympathetic, but it's not out of a fear reaction or fear-based activation and so when you start relaxing the ride back down you give a reward or you take a break that dial starts to drop back down and that creates this licking and chewing that promotes that so it's not always a bad thing it's licking and chewing but i think it happens a lot less than what we present it to and what we look for in our rides is we want them licking and chewing constantly which that is not how their system reacts it should not be reacting that way because that indicates that they're either happy all the time or they're coming down from some sort of stimulation all the time and that's not how their system works i think we definitely at some point will do a follow-up episode where we kind of dig into the science behind calming signals um, and just language signs of horses i know there's a really popular book that's kind of the rachel drysma's book that talks about calming signals and i know there's a lot of it means stress it doesn't mean stress there's like two different you know schools of thought on this but the thing is you have to take every behavior in context because there's a hundred behaviors happening in a chain all at one time and those a behavior in a moment my horse licking and chewing in a moment could mean 10 different things depending on what happened in those moments before and after and you have to look at the whole sequence of events so a horse chomping on the bit a horse chewing on the bit those are all going to mean different things depending what was happening before and what happens after it may mean he's relaxed and happy it may mean he's super stressed out exactly and we keep wanting to like apply these blanket statements to cover a wide variety of actions and to be like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. When it's so much muddled grayness, you have to look at each instance when licking and chewing results from stimulation. In that instance, was it from a bad reaction? Was it from a fear-based reaction or was it from learning? Was it from something else? Were they just standing there with no stimulus going on and did the horse start licking and chewing there? Like you have to look at everything in that moment and its own set of circumstances that led to it. You can't just be 
applying a product like gum bits, expecting them to look and chew and being like, oh, they're relaxed. It's a miracle. So what is your conclusion then with gum bits? <laughs> You're going to buy it and use it? <laughs> so getting back to gum bits, I would buy it, but not even close to why they are selling it. And they don't even know. I'm pretty positive because if they knew what it could do, they would talk about it. But hang on that for a second. One other thing I wanted to address with gum bits is that they don't work by addressing the nervous systems. So like this window of tolerance that we talk about, the epitome of our horses being relaxed and working well is where they work within this window of tolerance where both their nervous systems are working together, not out of fear, not of like abuse or anything. They don't address any of that. It just addresses what you can see, which is your horse licking and chewing. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. It's not addressing any of the internal signals. Like it's not addressing anything else but this external thing that you can see and you can you yourself can confirm. Give yourself a pat on the back like, oh, yep, look how look how relaxed they are. Think about feeding your horse a treat on the ground. You wouldn't feed them a treat and then be like, oh, look, they're licking and chewing and they're relaxed. So then why do we feed them gumbits while riding and be like, oh, look, they're licking and chewing. It's a miracle. They're relaxed. I mean, I think you have to then just assume people, I don't know how to phrase this. At some point, people can't be that stupid, right? You can't be like, oh my God, this little treat made my horse relaxed. You have to at some point realize, oh, this little treat is making my horse look relaxed and I'm going to continue to use it. I'm going to continue to hide my horse's tension with it. At some point, you have to recognize that People cannot be that silly. I think they might be. Okay. (laughs) I think people are taking a reaction from it and applying it to something else. So like, for instance, say it's advertised to soften their jaw. Mm -hmm. Horses isn't softening their jaw out of relaxation. They're disengaging to interact with the new stimulation that you just put in their mouth. They're not softening in their pull or their neck. They're not more malleable because they're focused and you have a better connection. They're disengaged with you, distracted because they're playing with something in their mouth. And then on top of this, this is where I got really frustrated with it, was when I was thinking about how the horse's system works. On top of this, how are, you, how are we expecting them to interact with the gum and chew on this and then perform high intensity, like high intense activity and use their systems effectively and be able to breathe effectively and everything? Like it doesn't make sense. So that's, yeah, that's a good point. With gumbits, does it say anything like do not use during cross country or do not use during high intensity workout? Because no, it's sold for this. It's sold for, it said in the very beginning, this is for, this is, uh, promotes the salivation process and eliminates the teeth grinding, which often can occur during the intense training of high performance sport horses and ponies. This is sold for use in competition. Okay. So for those who aren't aware, for a horse to breathe and use the respiratory system efficiently, they actually have to seal their mouths. That's the reason a lot of times when you see a horse, say they grab something off the ground that spooked them, like a flag or a stick or a plastic bag, and you see them lock their mouth shut on it, and they don't drop this thing, even though they're clearly terrified of it. I think there's a video on YouTube, right, of a horse with a plastic bag and their mouth, and they're chasing all their friends around. And my horse does this all the time. He'll grab a rope or he'll grab something and then he bolts <laughs> and I'm just left there saying, Hudson, let go of the rope, you stupid horse, let go of it. But he can't. His ner- his sympathetic nervous system kicked in and it locked his jaw and sealed his lips so that he could breathe efficiently. So horses that are competing, especially thinking about racing or cross country, need to be able to seal their mouths to breathe efficiently. And we're not getting into whether you can do that with or without a bit. You cannot do that if you're chewing on gum bits. You 100% cannot do, do that chewing on gum bits, which is where I get so frustrated with them. Like, 
to kind of finalize my thoughts, I know I've been going forever on this one. I would never buy gumbits to use on my horse while I'm riding. I would not. Okay. What gumbits are good for and what, like, I don't understand if they, because if they knew about this, they without a doubt should be promoting it. Here's where gumbits come into play. Colic, post-colic surgery. I was looking at something and it started addressing like the function of a horse chewing on the bit and that this actually is beneficial for them after colic surgery. There's a thing that can occur after colic surgery and it's called post-operative ileus. I looked into it a little bit, got very confused. I can't fully (laughs) break it down for you, but essentially what I understood was this is where the intestines react to the shock of the surgery by failing to regain mobility. It means the gut contents cannot be moved, gas builds up, and the tissue can die. Sometimes this results in the horse needing a second surgery, which oftentimes does not result in does not have good results and can be quite fatal. And what this does, gum bits or this motion of the horse chewing, what they said in the um, it's like this colic surgery they looked into afterwards is that some sort of sham feeding that causes the horse to chew without loading the gastrointestinal tract with food is beneficial in improving gastrointestinal mobility, thus preventing or treating post-operative ileus. So if my horse ever had colic surgery, I would 100% use this. If my horse ever had colic and afterwards, and I need to promote that salivation, I need to promote the stuff going, just promote that system being activated, I would without a doubt use this. Interesting. But nowhere on their website do they ever think of this, consider it. And this was on a completely different study that they were doing on a horse chewing on the bit and that it promotes kind of a similar effect. And they're like, it's essentially the same thing as gum for humans. And I was like, oh, so like gum bits, gum for horses could work. Yeah, you think if they if they knew about that, they would definitely want to promote that. That's interesting. Oh, without a doubt. If it could be highly effective for post, like after colic surgery, so many horses a year colic, that's a big market to be tapping into that they're completely missing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, that's probably would be like a 50% more sales for them hopefully they would realize that promoting it for riding is silly and they should not be doing that and switch to the post-colic surgery but you know that's not where the money's at also some of the things they've written on their website is weird like one of the things they said and this is a direct quote off of them is dressage people like how it helps stop the grinding noises that can affect their scores lower they also said pony riders like how the gum creates salivation what's which helps ponies stop dry coughs and to not pull the kids out of the tack. Oh, good God. Um, That is so disgusting. I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I have no problem with you wanting to compete your horses. I'm so happy that you want to go to shows and compete your horses. I'm so jealous, honestly, because I don't have a horse right now that I can show on. So that's not where this comes from. It comes from not addressing the true problem. That you have a stressed horse, you have a horse with some sort of respiratory issues, and you're like, we can hide it so no one knows. Exactly. Like, dry cough? How did you ever intend to fix a dry cough through gum? That's what makes me think that there's no way this company knows what it can do for post-colic surgery. Oh, they don't care. There's no way they know about it because they don't care. That's not why they created this project. They created this to hide things. They created this... In one, like their summary statement they said was, after use, in a short amount of time, most horses and ponies come around to a happy, frothy mouth that help all, in all caps, all riders enjoy their serious sport or hobby for a productive, happy ride. All they care about is what looks good. 
All they yeah. care about is that they're faking it and making it. They don't care what it can actually do and what it's doing to the system. Ugh, that's... Do they sell anything else or do they just sell gumbits? Uh, just gumbits. So gumbits is not on my list for Christmas. Um, please do not put this in my stocking because uh, these... I. I was like tempted to say like we should buy it just to try it. Just like I'm just so curious what it I is. Don't support but them. I don't even exactly. I don't even want to support them. Like I'm I'm good. Hard pass. <laughs> That's interesting. I wonder if this other company we're about to talk about, if they have something like gumbits, because I know they have bit butter, but this other company, um, Equine Healthcare International, is actually a really cool company, unlike whoever makes gumbits they sound like trash but um equine healthcare international sounds really really cool um i'd love to know more about them i just the pro- bit butter is a silly product but <laughs> okay so on that note with gumbits i guess can leave them behind in the dust and move on to yours bit butter yeah let's talk about butter because uh there's nothing better <laughs> than butter and i apologize if i mess up saying bit butter but it's way harder to say than you guys think so i'm gonna try not to mess it up too much (laughs) so i'm gonna start by reading the ad for bit butter as well because i think again these ads are so question mark so there are several companies that make things like bit butter bit balm bit creams bit paste i am not targeting this company because i like for any particular reason other than it's easier to research one company than it is in their product than it is to research a bunch of companies and their products if I'm it's just like I I don't have enough time to research how every company went about producing this product but there are several out there but I am going to be talking about the original bit butter which is produced by uh, equine healthcare international which actually looks like a really cool company talk about them in a second. So this is the ad on SmartPak's web page for Bit Butter. The original Bit Butter special formulation provides soothing care to replenish moisture for dry, calloused, unresponsive areas of the horse's mouth. Enriched with a, quote, mouth-softening complex, this palatable blend of natural butters, essential oils, and unique flavor encourages acceptance and improves focus on the bit. Favorite features. Soothes dried areas of your horse's mouth, palatable, natural butter and essential oils. Basically, this is a cream or like a paste that you would apply to the corner of the horse's mouth as well as the underside of the bit. And looking at the ingredients list, it looks like an organic lotion or an organic um, chapstick. In fact, it actually is chapstick. They, This company, <laughs> um, their uh, equine... Healthcare International, EHI, as well as Ethel, who also makes a version of this, have both come out with their human bit butters and bit balms, which is just chapstick. So it's got like, (laughs) it's got mango butter, peppermint oil, beeswax, vitamin E, soybean oil, shea butter, and jojoba. It's basically a lotion for your horse's mouth, but you can put it on the bit to make your horse's mouth softer and help them focus. Like, these like it's it's just like gumbits. It's just like how my huge problem with this is that it puts all the emphasis on the bit as being the problem. My bit somehow is poorly designed. My bit is like messing up my horse's relaxation. And I just think that's such that's such a false statement. Like your bit is not the problem. Like trust me on this one. You can have really rough hands and therefore your bit is the problem, but putting mouth softening complex 
on a snaffle bit in a kid with really rough hands is not going to make your horse relaxed or happy. Like you didn't solve the problem at all. You know, I looked for the reviews. People love this product. Um, they just like everyone that gives this product glowing reviews, happy customers. Everyone super recommends it. I just don't understand how this is to work other than making your bit slippery and reducing friction. That I kind of understand. Why is your bit moving so much that we need to reduce friction? <laughs> well, why does your horse have mouth calluses? So this is something I did look into briefly is like lesions to the horse's mouths are in the corners of the horse's mouths caused by the bit is actually super common. I was a little bit shocked at the percentage of horses that in these two studies that I just looked at briefly so I don't have all my notes on these bit lesion studies. Just the percentage of horses that were getting bit lesions after being ridden. So I went out and definitely checked the corners of my horse's mouths after <laughs> reading those studies to make sure that their mouths did not have cuts and or bruises. But Nim, he's got pink skin. He's got a soft. He easily gets rubbed by by the bit. One of the biggest things looking at people's reviews is a lot of people have switched to rubber bits thinking that they're going to be more... Um, soft for a sensitive horse and rubber actually has is creates more friction and is more likely to rub nath bits i own one i love it it works great on their mouth however uh they all have this seam for some reason that rubs on the corners of their mouth. I don't know why the Nath bit is designed that way to have that really rough seam. Uh, your bit, ha yours has it, mine has it. I don't, I don't understand. That's like a huge design flaw of the and they're company. So expensive. And I don't think well, they're expensive bits, but I don't think Nath is around anymore. I think Hermspringer now produces their bit. I'm not sure what happened there. I'm not, but you can't find Nath bits. But Hermspringer has the exact same bit but just under their name. My issue is that if your bit is rubbing and causing lesions and things like that, not that this is what this product's advertised to do, it's advertised around making your horse accept the bit. Your horse, your bit shouldn't be moving to the point where it's bruising and cutting and like hurting your horse's mouth. That is a problem with the bit and how you're using it. Um, maybe you need a different bit. <laughs> maybe you need um, a bit that, maybe you do need a metal bit and not a rubber bit. Maybe you need to improve your contact because I don't understand how a bit would rub and damage a horse's mouth if you're not pulling on it the entire time, right? Like if you have pretty soft contact, I don't understand. I know like loose ring snaffles have like they could pinch and stuff as well. I know certain bits have pinchy designs, but if you're not using a ton of contact, then I don't understand how your bit would be like causing a bunch of damage. I don't understand how so many people have these issues of like mouth sores and cuts and lesions at the corner of the horse's mouth what at what point do you stop and say like hmm maybe something else is going wrong here part of the love for this product seems to come from that it helps your horse accept the bit like when you go to put it in their mouth because it's like flavorful and I get like that makes sense to me like I get that you know wrap putting a treat with the bit so you're you know counter conditioning their bad memories of the bit but then you need to make sure that you're not also then going and riding and like th that, that's a whole chain like of things to do. You know what I mean? Like and you don't just make a flavorful bit so the horse likes the bit. There's a whole bunch of other things that are going on that your horse wouldn't like the bit. Like why doesn't your horse like the bit? Do they have a bad experience with it? Are you giving them bad experiences with it? There's a whole process for counter conditioning them to accept the bit. There's a whole bunch of work that can be done that this could be beneficial if you want a flavored bit, you could use it for that, um, that purpose. I guess, but I don't know, like not accepting while you're riding. 
Okay, so I did find an article that was interviewing Amy Hassinger. She and her husband started Equine Healthcare International, or EHI, back in 2007. Uh, they're actually from North Carolina. This company is based in North Carolina. Ooh. Yeah. Her husband, I don't remember her husband's name, but he is a veterinarian, and together they run and were running an equine rehab business. And so a lot of their products came about... They were using their veterinarian clinic to help them create better products for those horses in rehab, uh, as well as for the horses that she was riding and competing. So in an article I found on horsetech.com or horsetechco.com titled How to Create the Most Innovative Equine Products, an interview with Amy Hassinger. She was, Amy Hassinger is the owner, uh, like CEO, president, co-founder, I don't know what you call yourself. She's the one who runs Equine (laughs) Healthcare International, EHI. And she was interviewed about their products that they created. And some of the quotes from the interview were um, her talking about EHI's products differ from others on the market in the fact that our products generally are the first of their kind. We only bring products to the market that we believe there's a genuine need for, most often discovered through necessity in our veterinarian clinic. BitButter was designed to improve and enhance communication with our horses while riding. BitButter lubricates the mouth for improved communication, protects the mouth from constant pulling, encourages the horse to hold the bit in the proper position in the mouth, and relaxes the TMJ to promote relaxation in the pull and top line. That's her. That's her describing the product. And I just like... This is the issue. The bit is not the problem. The, if you have someone... You need to lubricate your bit so the horse doesn't feel the pulling... You have a problem with the rider, not with the bit. And that's where, like, I wasn't this upset a few weeks ago when we did our on the bit episode, but I'm now starting to really hate the term on the bit because it people just don't understand it has nothing to do with the bit. The bit is just the end of the equation. The bit is like the equal marks in the math equation. That's it. It's there. It's present. If you don't have the equal marks, it's confusing what to do, but it has no impact on like the equation. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not true. The equal marks mean signal the end of the equation, you dingbat. Well, okay. It, it signals the end of the equation, but like it's not part of the equation. It signals the end. And if it's not there, you're going to have an issue because you don't know what to do. If you don't have good contact, if you don't have a good connection with the horse's mouth, what comes next is really confusing. But it's not the meat and the potatoes. It's not, it has, it all, being on the bit comes from the horse's body. It comes from them being through their back. It comes from them being relaxed in their top line. How does a slippery bit improve relaxation in the top line? So people are loving this product for horses with split lips and cracked corners. Again, guys, I think if that's your issue, you've, you've got a bigger issue. Bit Butter's not going to solve it. I will throw out there, if you are using Vaseline on the horse's corners of the horse's mouth or on the bit, let's stop using Vaseline and let's figure out a better solution. Bit Butter is a better alternative than Vaseline. So for those of you who don't know, Vaseline works as a water repellent, which means it's basically just a barrier. It's not adding any moisture to the lips or to the skin. It is just providing a barrier. And that barrier also can lock in things like bacteria, like germs, and cause greater issues. If you have a cracked corner of the mouth and then you seal it and then you didn't clean it properly before, it can cause greater issues. Uh, Also, Vaseline is not used for internal use. It's only for external use. So for 
the outside of your body or the horse's body. Uh, when oil or petroleum jelly gets into the lungs, it can trigger lipid pneumonia, which is not super common or lipoid pneumonia. I don't know how to pronounce it. But it can cause pneumonia because it is an oil-based product. Like it is petroleum. It is a mineral oil in that regard. So let's not be using Vaseline on the corner of our horse's mouths or on their bits. Let's, we can use bit balm or bit butter until you find a better solution, but cracked lips and cracked mouths and calluses and lesions are an indication that there's something vastly wrong. So kind of walking away from bit butter because I, I don't love this product. I don't love any product that focuses on the bit. I would use bit butter for horses that are exposed to the elements a lot. So when I worked at a ranch, we did have a lot of horses that would get sunburn. And yes, putting sunscreen on will definitely help. But they get a lot of like blisters and not just from sunscreen, especially when they're out in the winter and in the weather in like dry, cold climates. I would use this to put on their noses and their muzzle. I wouldn't put it in their mouths. I wouldn't put it on their bit, but I would put it on their muzzles to like, because it's just an organic lotion or an organic uh, chapstick. I, it looks great for using that to soften up their muzzles. Go for it. Okay, so let's talk about foam because that's where that was sort of the question I was trying to answer with my research was, you know, is foam a good thing or not? One of the things I thought was really interesting about foam, frothy horse mouths, is that this seems to be an exclusive dressage thing. And I find that there, that that concerns me a little bit. Because if this is exclusively to dressage, we cannot be the only people who know about relaxation. We cannot be the only people who know about like soft, gentle contact. You know, there are plenty of other horses out there that are not being abused and are being, you know ridden with soft contact with a you know a bit like you know like there are hunter jumpers there are ranch riders like I I have ridden tons of horses in a light contact and relaxed out of a frame and not gotten a, a foamy mouth so the fact that this is exclusive to dressage does kind of make makes me question it and I know there's lots of images I have seen pictures of jumping horses I know it's not exclusive to dressage that other horses do foam at the mouth but it's where you get presented this idea like it's where you're introduced to it I feel yeah and I I see lots of comments all the time like I never knew about foamy mouths until I started riding at a dressage barn or until I started riding dressage and dressage always seems to be the key catalyst here and what confuses me most about this is we are not the only ones who have figured out the German training scale. There are plenty of other non-dressage riders who understand how relaxation, how free forward movement works, but they're not getting the same foamy mouths. And I just like, I, that just, I don't understand that. That's just like a question out there I have. So what is foam? It's saliva, obviously. <laughs> um, so <laughs> by lightly chewing on the bit, the horses en engages their digestive system and they begin to produce saliva. So they're starting to right, move their mouths and that's what's triggering the saliva. Saliva as well as sweat has what's a protein in it called lathrin, which as you guessed it, when friction and air is added, it lathers. So it's this protein, the same thing that when you see a horse, see that like a horse froths between the butt cheeks or on the neck from the rain he's rubbing. <laughs> it's the same protein that's being triggered by air um, as, and friction. So those two things oh. together froth this protein. And so we typically see foam in the horse's mouth as a sign that right, like their jaw is relaxed. And that's because... Um, of the location of their saliva glands. So the par, oh guys, I'm so bad with words. 
Parthoid gland is located sort of in the back of their jaw, at the top of their jawbone, and this is what produces the most saliva. And it also is kind of like a trigger to the other saliva glands, which there are four of them in the horse's mouth. There is the mandular, which is lower down on the back bottom of the jaw. There is the polystomatic sublingual, which is on like, it's in the front of the premolars. Or not premolars. Horses don't have premolars. We have premolars. Horses (laughs) have premolars? No, horses have premolars. I have no idea. I know nothing, guys. I know nothing. Anyways, they have ones on the top of like, they're back underneath the molars, essentially. And they're all combined through a bunch of different like ducts that produce saliva and your horse begins to drool. But we often think of the partoid gland as being the most important one, which is right the one that produces the most and it's the back of the jaw. So when we see our horses drooling, we think, oh, the back of my horse's jaw is relaxed and they can produce saliva, which means their pole is relaxed and their TMJ is relaxed. I wanted to answer the question, right, is foam good or bad? So I started to look into research and I, again, this is one of those places that horse people never seem to ask the right questions or those with the funding to do the research never seem to ask the right questions. I found lots of studies that wanted to look at the cortisol levels that were really in horse saliva. This is because around 2011, probably a little bit sooner, we started to realize that we could measure cortisol and stress hormones in the horse's saliva and that we didn't have to take blood samples to determine stress levels. Obviously, taking blood samples to determine stress levels is a whole stressful trigger in itself and wasn't like the most accurate or easiest way to do it. So they hypothesized, scientists hypothesized that they could get it from the saliva. And that is true. You can get stress hormones from the horse's saliva. You're just not going to get them at the same rate you would from blood. So blood's going to be a lot stronger because it's stress hormones are released directly into the bloodstream and not directly into the saliva, but they do appear in the saliva. So a lot of studies have been focused around cortisol. Uh, I found a couple of different studies. I would definitely, if you're interested at all in understanding how cortisol is released throughout the horse's day and what the trigger is, please read the entire study. I found one study that I'm kind of don't understand why people are okay with this study or seem to be okay with this study. They, uh, their conclusion was that horses that were resting and relaxed were actually experiencing higher stress levels. And so despite the fact that they were in a beginner lesson program and tourist trail riding program, that that was better for the horses than just standing around and being resting, quote, quote, resting. So some red flags should, yeah, some red flags should be going up right there. Um, That the horses, the horses resting were more stressed. That's because the horses who were resting were not resting. Yeah. They were left tied to the hitching post while their friends went to go work. So I would consider that not very stressful. I would also consider this study to have some huge red flags that people need to be looking into because the horses that were in the lesson program and just being ridden by beginners. So all these horses were ridden three times a day, an hour each time. Oh, those poor babies. This was, this study was called salivary cortisol concentration in horses during different types of exercise. And it was published in the Asian Australia's uh, animal science journal in May, 2016. Concerns me is that the level of stress hormones in the horses that were ridden by beginners was lower at the end of the day, quite a bit lower at night, and somehow spiked overnight. So they started their day much higher than they went to bed. That concerns me that my horses are spending the night stressing out. The other two, the group that was ridden by trail riders and like tourist trail riders, so not good trail riders, they kind of waved throughout the day. So everyone started at the same kind of higher level and then waved throughout the day where the horses that were resting 
quote, quote, resting, got increasingly more and more stressed out until the very end of the day where they dropped back down. This to me is an indication that they didn't like when their friends left them. I would definitely make sure you're reading through if you're interested in how stress hormones are released throughout the day and what the trigger is. Make sure you're reading the complete study because that study is not a very good indication of horses' stress levels. And they thought like their conclusion was that hassle from beginners, inappropriate posture, and emotional yelling was better than resting. Oh, that's a horrible conclusion. That's a horrible conclusion, and I would say no. There's another study that was done in 2011 that looked at cortisol concentration in the saliva of horses subjected to different kinds of exercise. This one was done in Poland, and it actually looked at a group of truly resting horses compared to um, show jumpers, dressage horses, and three-day eventers that were going to the five-year-old championship. So they were competing and at a show. This study did find that those eventing horses were much more stressed after their exercise than they were throughout the day and that eventers experienced more stressed throughout the day however show jumpers got really stressed like show jumpers held more stress throughout the day where eventers spiked much higher after their ride so there's a lot more so show jumpers are more stressed dressage horses are pretty level and pretty cool eventers were super super stressed after their ride but we're pretty chill throughout the day which I think most of us are like yeah I know that already like I didn't need a science experiment but the reason I bring up these ones when we're talking about foam is it's only one more step for a researcher to add a category about foam to these these studies because I want to know if my does the inventor produce more foam does the dressage horse produce more foam like what is the relationship between foam and stress And is there one? Is there not? You know, maybe the stress hormones being released has nothing to do with the amount of foam. Maybe I cannot tell, but I would be curious to know, can I tell good foam from bad foam? That's what I would be curious to know. And this study feels like it's in the right direction and you just have to add that checkbox or that description to your research. Interesting. I also be wondering about the stress, you know, how much of the stress was good stress and how much of the stress was bad stress. Because right, not all stress is bad, but obviously it's giant spike in it is not promising. Uh, No, absolutely. So that study just looked at cortisol levels. I did find um, a study in 2019 that was starting to understand that cortisol is not the only stressor, not the only stress hormone, that there are other hormones that a horse can release when they're stressed. Um, And they're starting this research now is to look at the other, the other things. And not only are there other, other stress hormones, but there's also Um, emotionally relaxed hormones that a horse can release. So a study that was done in um, 2019, and it was changes in saliva analytics correlate with horses' behavioral reaction to an acute stressor, a pilot study. So this was 2019. They started to look at these other other, um, things. So they looked at, I'm just going to count the number because I'm not going to say it. They looked at six different hormones that a horse can release while being stimulated and they found that some of these were stress hormones and some of these were not stress hormones and so I think that's awesome if we can start to move that research and stop to think I think we sometimes oversimplify things and think there's only cortisol cortisol is the only thing that exists in the horse it's the only thing that's happening cortisol is triggering sympathetic it's triggering parasympathetic um you know, the level of cortisol. And the truth is, and how we were trying to say earlier, is that it's not that simple. That dial is all of these hormones working together. So again, that study doesn't have to directly do with foam, but I think bringing foam into that research should be done and could be done. 
So the other research that I looked into was swallowing. <laughs> because swallowing actually plays a big factor in foam, your horse's ability to swallow. And I'll get, I'll, I'll conclude with my, I'll say that for the conclusion, but swallowing. So there was one study done in 2005. Why there's not more studies and more people looking at this, I do not know. Because this is really frustrating to me because I feel like the conclusion of this study is like, hang on, hang <laughs> on, hang on. <laughs> Again, another one where like, how are we not getting the same thing? We're looking at the same information. How are we not getting the same, same thing here? But this is a 2005 study. This is, yes, the one that was done by Michigan State. This is a pretty well-known study. It's the effects of different bits and bridles on frequency of induced swallowing and cantering horses. So how this study works. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the only swallowing study for whatever reason. It's very popular. Lots of people have reviewed it. I haven't found a ton of responses to it, but lots of like articles about it. What they did is they had four different setups. They put the horses in a halter, a snaffle bit, a mylar bit, and a bitless bridle. One, it was one horse. So they had 12 horses and each horse wore all four things. So it was like the same horse, all four setups. They were then put on a treadmill. They were then put in side reins. And they were then um, intubated with uh, a camera so they could watch them swallow. And they were then um, had a a hose shoved in their mouth. So like a really calm, (laughs) great situation. (laughs) I get it. Like, that's kind of how some of this stuff has to happen. They were on the treadmill for two minutes at the canter. Like, don't worry. The horses were warmed up and then put in side reins. They went through all the, the whole process. But what they found was that horses wearing head collars, so for a total, so this is all 12 horses combined, swallowed a total of 99 times per minute. So that's adding all the swallows. So you had, like, horse one swallowed 27 times, where horse two swallowed three times. So... Right, that itself is a big indication that not all horses are going to foam the same amount. I would say horse two is probably going to foam a lot more than horse one because horse one is constantly swallowing. He's swallowing like every two seconds, where horse two is not swallowing that much. So combined total of all those horses, 99 swallows in one minute in, a, in just a halter. It sounds like that mess, a messed up version of 99 pieces of tack on the wall. <laughs> 99 times swallows on the treadmill <laughs> take it down pass it around 98 swallows on the treadmill okay so so bitless bridle and i don't know what they use for a bitless bridle they didn't say my understanding that like bitless bridle really is only dr cook's i don't know if there is another type of bit bitless bridle but dr cook is doing a ton of research his name is on everything but i think that's what their bitless bridle was but don't quote me was 92 swallows so halter and bitless bridle, 99 and 92. I'm thinking that's pretty that's pretty similar. However, horse one swallowed 27 times in a halter and five times in a bitless bridle. I don't know what's going on with horse one, but someone should that he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Is he doing all right? He was, he horse one and horse three, because horse three swallowed 22 times in a halter and 19 times in a Britless bridle, which to me, that's more compatible. I think that that seems same, same, same. So they're like a lot of these horses, they're, the numbers are, are similar. Bitless bridle, 92. Snaffle bit, and this is just a plain loose ring snaffle, basic snaffle bit. 84 swallows total. Mylar, which is just a basic ported mylar bit, 58 swallows. I think 99 to 58 is a big difference. I think that's a massive difference. And that totally contributes to the foam because the more saliva you have in your mouth, the more foam that can be developed. So you're not 
You're just inhibiting their swallowing. That's all I'm getting from this. And this brings me back to the double bridal thing I mentioned earlier. Oh, yeah. The double bridal may be interfering with the horse's ability to swallow. The conclusion of this study was like, maybe the bit affects the horse, but I think all horses are different. <laughs> horse one, maybe, but I not mean, the I rest. think all horses are different, too. I'm not like, and that's what we were saying is that the amount of horse, the amount your horse is foaming is probably going to be very different than their neighbor because, yeah, all horses are different. But 99 to 58 is a bit of a difference. The, I also want to point out some of these horses swallowed a whole heck of a lot less in a snaffle than they did in a mylar. This goes to, I think, all horses' mouths are shaped differently. All horses, right? Like, there's a difference. And so the theory is that tongue pressure, a bit that sits on the tongue, interferes with the horse's ability to swallow. So that would be a, a, like a single-jointed snaffle or I guess a double-jointed snaffle as well that sits on the tongue would be affecting that horse's ability to lift their tongue to swallow. I would love to see some more research than this one study from 2005. I would love to know a little bit more. Um, and all of these horses were in side reins, which is important to note. They were all bending and flexed at the pole. I have, looking at the images that were available, these horses definitely have a V in their throat and not a U. Okay. I don't know how you would incorporate the U into, like, how would you get a horse to truly lift and do all of that stuff and be hooked up to this machinery? I don't Regardless, the studies are going to be a bit flawed in that respect because I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there's a big difference between my horse being with a shut down throat because they're overflexed and a horse that's lifting correctly through their neck and is open to the throat. I'm going to say there's a big difference on their ability to produce saliva and swallow. So yeah, these horses were well hooked up. <laughs> they got a camera up their nose. They've got a tube up their mouth. They're like tied down. It's like there was a lot going on. I in bet their study. cortisol levels were high. <laughs> I wouldn't even want to know what their cortisol levels are. But I think, you know, this is something I would love to have an added box that says horse number one foamed zero. Horse number two foamed a ton. Like I would love to have a little bit more information with these studies saying what was the foam, what was the drool, what else was going on to know, okay, so this horse can't swallow and is foaming a ton. Hmm. You know, like that, I would love the, the research to go a little bit further. What about Dublin? Like, think about Dubs. He had an entrapped epiglottis and that affected his breathing and he used to foam. He's probably our one that foamed in the mouth the most often. Yeah, so Dublin can't swallow. Exactly. Wow. And there's some research that I read by Dr. Cook, who, and then I like accidentally X'd out of it. And <laughs> I'll have to go back and find it. I hate when it happens. That racehorses, damage to the soft palate is really common in racehorses, my horse Dublin included. And that he was hypothesizing that this is actually being caused by the bit and the horse not being able to swallow correctly while racing and that he was really annoyed with current research that was looking at it being a disease and trying to figure out what the disease was and he was like the disease is the bit oh my goodness how interesting and i have to say he's probably correct because this isn't a common problem outside of the racing industry so if it's not a common problem out of outside the racing industry we're thinking either only thoroughbreds are subject to this disease or we're thinking maybe there's something else going on. So many things to think about. We're going to have to do a bit versus bitless episode where we address all this. Like, Absolutely, you're going to have to because I do think, you know, I think for so long, bitless was like, oh, you woo-woos. And now starting to do this research, I'm like, okay, so 
gotcha. Like, I'm not saying don't ride your horses in a bit. I'm just saying w- riding your horse bitless or in a hackmore is not as woo-woo as you think. Like, that is, there's some real science there. But I think it's different than how they're presenting it to you. Like, how people push you as bits or abuse and then you go to this, but they don't present. I, I think it's different, the logic behind why we're starting to, like, all this information, this research that we're doing, my mindset is constantly changing. Yeah. And now I'm just rethinking of the bit that I use on Trin. How is this sitting against her tongue? And now that I think about this, I'm like, why did I never think about if I hold a bit in my mouth? Obviously, I'm struggling to swallow. But then Bitless has its own conundrums and issues with the nose bones and soft tissue. Yeah, and I'm going to throw Dr. Cook under the bus for a second because his research, he's got a ton of it. And I'm sure it's all really good. But he definitely comes from a biased, very biased outlook. Yeah, And like his research is like, you know, calling bits basically four-letter words in the title of his research (laughs) study. And it's like, okay, so we have to be a little less biased um, when starting this experiment. So I, like, I think he's done a lot of great research, but there's also a lot of, like, that's a bit, you know, okay. You know, and and I think that's the problem with a lot of these things is, you know, somewhere in the middle is okay. But you see so many people going the opposite directions and going to the extremes and – in the extremes is not okay. And that's why I like Tick Maynard. His book is Somewhere in the Middle is Horseman. And I just like love that I that that quote because it reminds you that there you can go extreme either direction and you've lost it. You have to kind of be taking in all the information and sifting through it and you're going to constantly find yourself somewhere in the middle. Just kind of lost wandering around in the middle like, I guess this is it for now. <laughs> in conclusion, is foam good or bad? I found a July 2020 article from Euro Dressage's webpage, which there you've got a really, couple of really cool blog posts. I definitely recommend checking them out. This uh, article was titled Functionality and Equitation, Look at the Mouth. And they break down foaming in the mouth in three categories. The first one is dry mouth. The mouth is dry at the beginning and during and at the end of the work. The horse is usually tense and moving with stiffness. The very foamy mouth. Foam is found on the neck, the shoulders of the horse. The horse can't swallow normally because of the quality of contact, the frame, and tightness of noseband. And then C, or three, the fresh mouth or good mouth. The horse is relaxed and there is some saliva like wearing a light foamy lipstick. The foam is even on both sides. And I think that is probably the best we're going to get when it comes to foam is that these big frothy mouths we're seeing are bad. That is a horse that cannot swallow. There's also some, some, maybe not, I don't know if research, but some questions around is the saliva gland being pressured by that overflexed position and producing additional saliva. I think at the end of the day, any horse that is foaming, whether it's a little bit of lipstick foam or not, is a horse that's not swallowing properly. That is up to you what you decide to do with that information next. I am more concerned with my horse's relaxation. I am more concerned with them being in front of the vertical. I am more concerned with their overall top line than I am with foam or not foam at this point. I don't think it matters one way or the other. If my horse suddenly changes and is doing excessive amounts of foaming, I may need to question my bit. I may need to question the position I've been riding my horse in. Sorry, guys. I just don't think foam is as great of a thing as we think it is. I don't think it means much of anything. A horse with a bit in its mouth and that's lightly playing with it is going to drool, but I don't think that means anything. 100% inclined to agree with that. And I think our we have a very big misconception on the chewing of the bit and the foam. And I think we need to take a closer look on how the foam is created 
and the inability to swallow. I think that's a really big deal that we just kind of forget and drop. Right. A horse should be able to produce or to swallow whatever saliva they produce. Go up to your horse right now. Are they drooling all over themselves while they're standing in their pasture or paddock? No. Why suddenly are they producing this extra amount of saliva while we're riding them? And I think part of it is you have to remember their position that their head is in. When we ride the horse on vertical or in front of vertical, their head is hanging down and it's not out. When it's out, it's a lot easier for them to swallow and get the saliva down their throat than it is when their head is in that downward position. So that's why I'm saying I want to be clear that I'm not saying if you see a horse foaming at the mouth, even if it's a little, it's horrible. That's a bad horse. They can't swallow. They're like, yeah, right. It's not that. You just have to consider the whole picture and realize any amount of foam is a horse that's not swallowing normally. That does not mean you are necessarily abusing or torturing or what you're doing is wrong. I'm not like I, I'm just not going to be worried that my horse has a dry mouth. Like Addie does not foam at the, at the bit. She drools a little and does not foam. I'm not going to worry about it anymore because it apparently means nothing. (laughs) Like so to wrap up this episode, I found another interesting article on Euro Dressage's page. It's titled, The Latest Cover-Up, Sugar Paste Cream to Hide Contact Issues. And this is posted March 2020. So what is the FEI doing about these cheap tricks? Because gum bits, bit balm, bit butter are not the only tricks that have been being used, are being used. It's really common, right, to pop a sugar cube just before a test so your horse has been chewing on that sugar cube and gets that beautiful white frothy foam maybe a little treat now the new thing is to and it's been going on for a little bit I think he said he first noticed it in 2016 at the Rio Olympics it also appeared in Aiken and Wellington but it is sugar sugar paste painted on the horse's lips so it looks like foam kind of is against FEI rules not quite against FEI rules because they have nothing very clear about it. They do talk about not being able to paint um, your horse to disguise spur marks. And they kind of sometimes ring stewards will or stewards will lump this into not painting your horse. But that some of those rules are specific around spurs. Some of those rules are specific around hiding your horse's identification. So there are rules about not painting your horse, but there's no rules about painting your horse for hiding contact issues, like nothing about foam. So in his interview, uh, in this article, he talks to um, Van Dale, who I think is an FEI veterinarian. He says, you can't apply anything to hide something in an extension to cover up an issue. This is not honest. On the other hand, there are plenty of riders or grooms who quickly give a sugar lump or a treat or a piece of apple. It is expected that the steward who notices the cream to report it to the president of the ground jury with a swap, a swab and a photo. So you so this is where they're getting in trouble is a lot of times they are going to say if they notice the cream, they're like, oh, what is that for? The rider says it's for medical purposes. And so then they have to swab it and prove that it is a medical cream or a sugar cream and then the judge at sea will decide what to do i just can't imagine a ton of stewards being like oh you have something on your horse's face let me risk my reputation to question yours yeah and not saying that stewards won't but i just feel like that's a lot of pressure to put on a steward to be like (laughs) the person who's you know just hanging out like i'm gonna risk my reputation and turns out like oh maybe it was veterinarian cream my horse does have cuts in their mouth which is a whole nother 
question. Why does a horse have cuts in their mouth that need to be covered in white cream before a ride? In addition, so a horse should be penalized when they open their mouth and stick their tongue out. So if your horse has a treat, bit creams, sugar paste on their lips, they're prompted to open their mouth and maybe lick around. So are these things very useful? if the FEI rule books are being enforced. Right now, uh, at the General Assembly that they had, I think it was 2019, the General Committee, they did, FEI is looking into this white foam specifically, not necessarily into um, gum bits or bit butters, though they may be next. In their little General Committee notes, they're going through all these new rule proposals. It's like a 53-page document, and they do have a little comment somewhere about things they're considering for future years is white foam. We understand the issue of how to monitor the use of white foam in competition. Maybe it would be good if the Vet Committee or the Steward General could be involved to find good wording as well as a way to monitor it. CDs, does this need to go into the rules or something? That's that's the thought that FEI has put towards it right now and where it currently stands. So this is about sugar paste specifically and the painting on the horse's lips, but it could at some point, depending how that rule is written, extend to gum bits and to butter paste and butter creams or whatever. I don't think it will. I don't think it will because it's probably too hard to, it's too easy to hide those. And I think those products are made to be hidden. That sugar paste is too obvious that it got caught. Do you have any final thoughts you want to conclude with or are you good with signing out? I'll let you guys put together your final thoughts. You know, what do you think about these products and are these products you use or are likely to use? You know, what do you think about foam in the horse's mouth? Is this something that you think is good? Like, I'm curious to know because this would be a big change from what we've all thought when it comes to dressage with anything don't just take our words at face value or we supply the links for all the research studies that we read the forums that we get any type of information from other people that we've been collecting information from we share it because we want other people to do their own research and look into it and get educated along with us because it's fun but we really appreciate you guys sticking with us throughout this entire episode if you have any questions or comments if you have future discussions you want us or no, if you have future topics you want us to discuss, send us um, an email at mudstudsskullcaps at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on Instagram at mudstuds underscore skullcaps. We finally had a first person that reached out to us with a topic and I was so excited. So shout out to that one person. Say it like that. Jeez, we sound desperate and pathetic. Well, I am. I got so excited, man. Someone actually reached out. Like it's crazy thing that people listen to this that aren't us and are getting information. Like it's wild. It is wild and it's like no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> but yeah, so if you guys foam, no foam, let us know. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, tell a friend. Have this discussion around Thanksgiving at your barn, foam or no foam. And on that note, stay safe, stay classy, and stay in the saddle. <laughs>